Welcome to Creative Strengths Podcast. Um, my name is Christian Howes. I'm a violinist and educator. And today I'm welcoming a very special guest. Her name is Joyu Lee. And she is not only an uh, incredible classical pianist, classical cellist, but a passionate and experienced therapist with 20 plus years of combined international experiences in creative, expressive arts therapy. And she is uh, trained in the Bonnie Method, guided imagery and music. Um, and this is what's also known as music psychotherapy. Uh, so she's going to share a lot with us about um, music breathing, music and imagery, these different uh, healing practices, therapy practices. Um, I should mention that she does a lot of work as a therapist with, with teens and young adults, uh, with eating disorders, anxiety and depression, and crisis intervention. She also does the work of music therapy with um, outpatient treatment, providing re-educative insight building music therapy, psychotherapies, sorry, music psychotherapy sessions for groups and individuals on a daily basis. She's based in North Carolina. Um, anyway, without more introduction on that, we're going to get right into the episode to this um, fascinating interview, I think. I hope you'll find it to be fascinating and helpful. I also want to mention our main sponsor, Electric Violin Shop. If you have questions about gear and all things electric strings, I highly recommend you reach out to Electric Violin Shop. Their phone number is on their website, electricviolinshop.com, and you can call them during business hours and speak with a human to ask about anything and everything electric strings. With that, let's get into the interview. What do you think are the, the ways that musicians can benefit from a greater understanding of their own psychology to like to improve their musical practice careers and or teaching what are what are some top things that come to mind for you absolutely first of all chris delighted to be here so glad that we got to work together briefly during the born off training and um coming into this podcast to talk about mindfulness talk about music and all of the connections from one human to the next that's something that I'm incredibly passionate about. And so coming back to your question about musicians and teachers, I would say that even just talking about mindfulness, because mindfulness nowadays is such like a, like almost like this hot topic, this like catchphrase. If you like Google it, there's overwhelming like articles and workshops and, and people can get kind of like lost and all of this information out there. I oftentimes explain mindfulness as it's like driving lessons for your mind or your brain. And as a musician, whether you're doing full-time performance or you're doing some teaching, combining with a lot of different things, paying attention to the here and now and paying attention and having more awareness of yourself truly, truly can open up so many different perspectives or if, if metaphorically speaking it's like opening up doors and pathways and giving yourself and allowing yourself to create more space for you to to explore to be curious to do things that really matter to you so truly i would say that mindfulness is is such a key word in this and yes chris 
I feel like one of the things you said to do the things that are important to you is one of the things that I've been thinking about recently. It's like the the reason that I think of for mindfulness is to take actions where you're blocked. So like, let's say, for mm-hmm. example, people that procrastinate around practicing yes. or people that are afraid to charge more or people that are afraid to perform. Like these could be actions that we want to take, but... We're blocked from doing it. And so I wonder if you could take us through like a mindfulness exercise, even possibly with that or something Mm -hmm. related to that as like the goal outcome. And and sorry if that's, if I'm I'm not a a psychologist, (laughs) but I don't know if I should be like a patient for you or you just, you just riff, you do your thing. And (laughs) and just to, to help anybody that's listening, I want them to be able to experience kind of this, you guiding us through Mm -hmm. mindfulness. Would you be willing to do that? Absolutely. So how about this? Um, Because in the purpose of supporting your listeners, I would say majority of your listeners are teachers and string players or um, string performers or any artists. A lot of people will come to me, whether they're clients, whether they're patients or just people I have like daily conversations about. It's like, Joy, I have this super busy schedule. I feel like I'm just following this, like this checklist of things or responsibilities, like one thing after next. I don't have time for mindfulness. I don't know if I can like, like truly just like sit down and like tune in my breath. And it's, it seems like when people want to add mindfulness into their routine, it can be a little bit daunting in the beginning or just the sense of if I bring it back into music elements. Okay. So we're just talking about tempo and volume and let's say instrumentation quality of sound. So let's say that your current life routine is like 100 miles an hour and it's pretty chaotic because maybe you have like three kids and you work a full-time job and there's responsibilities and you have to take care of your parents and neighbors and all those things. So there is, if you think about instrumentation, there's like patches of random things that you have to like really navigate through that. And also constantly there's a lot of like chatter and maybe your headspace is filled with these like loud sounds or loud noises or demands. So coming it from like just zooming into our own headspace, it's high, high speed, it's fast paced and it's pretty noisy and pretty random. So you're always kind of like hypervigilant about, okay, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. So to expect us going from 100 miles an hour going to like, okay, 35, there has to be some sort of transition. So it doesn't happen all at once. So let's say that you are a teacher and you have five classes back to back to back and you have meetings and students are coming to you and um, your principal is demanding some things like you are, you don't have any space to catch a breath. A way to kind of support yourself and add in some mindfulness or self-care into these routines, a lot of times I encourage people to just assess, where can you find a minute? Where can you find like even just 30 seconds to start with? For yourself, you can use music or without music in this, but oftentimes because music, it might be something that we are so familiar with that um, we're using it for work that actually we don't really encourage ourselves to use that as a resource for us as, let's say, string educators or for performers. So if we say just taking that 30 seconds, what I would really encourage people to do is 
those 30 seconds, even if you're just going to the bathroom. What you're going to do is really invite yourself, even if you feel like this is ridiculous. It's just like, okay, we are going to check in. Let's come back to our breath first because it's not like, okay, I must do slow breathing. It's taking the musts and the shoulds out of the way. It's assessing where you are and just notice, okay, I'm breathing in now. How fast, how slow my breath is. Am I holding my breath? Am I just releasing it quickly? So you're just assessing like that sense of, okay, that temple. Also noticing, wow. Is my shoulder really tense? Is my head just spinning? Am I like thinking about 20 things while I'm trying to like take a breath? So when you are using this 30 seconds to check in with yourself, you're actually preparing yourself for the next thing, but not thinking about the next thing you're trying to focus in the present moment, just using your breath. And sometimes, um, this is some, some things I do with clients a lot, is if you have songs music that you just know that like once you listen to can like immediately help you focus you don't need to listen to the whole song you don't need to listen to a three minute piece or a five minute piece if you have time i really encourage you to take that time but even if you just have one minute put on your headphones even if it's in the bathroom and really let yourself just take that time non-negotiable it's almost like okay we are doing a check-in right now in in the middle of all this, you have to give yourself. There's, it's it's almost like carving out that intention. So even if you don't feel the benefits immediately, but it's about truly slowing down the busyness because we are busy people, and our society really loves to promote productivity about being efficient, about being working really hard and, and working a lot of hours and all those things. But it's about really intentionally making sure that you can ground and slow things down just a little bit and then go to your next thing. So this is, I think this is like a starting point that you can find just 30 seconds or a minute. And truly, truly, it's about quieting and slowing down and starting where you are. It's not immediately like, okay, I'm, I'm like rushing around and then I have to like immediately stand still. It could be truly that transition. Let's say if you're a runner and you're running super fast, you're like gradually, gradually slowing yourself down a little bit so that you can kind of like transition into that, that next thing that you are brushing towards. Love that. So I actually, it prompted an idea for me, which is, that I've got my my violin here. Actually, this yeah. is quite like this. It's a chin, this is a chinchello. Cool. And, uh, <laughs> so it's it's an octave lower than a violin. Nice. So I want to see. I want to ask you if I'm doing it right, because what I've been doing in a lot of my group classes is yeah. guiding guiding people through mindfulness exercises as they practice. And so I'm going to demonstrate it really briefly with me being my own guinea pig and teacher. And then I'm going yeah. to try to do it for the listeners and then have you correct what I did wrong. So <laughs> while, so like the way I would do it is be like, okay, I'm going to start playing my, my instrument. And instead of starting with like, uh, you know, a scale book, I'm just going to pick a note and I'm going to start, I'm going to set an intention. Like my intention for my practice is that I am going to be balanced or calm or focused or something like this. So I'm going to say, 
balanced and calm. That's my intention to be balanced and calm. So I'm going to then pick a note, which is open G. And I'm just going to play the note. And then I'm going to notice, first of all, my breath, which is what I heard you say. Yes. I'm just noticing my breath. Breathing. And then I'm going to change to, okay, now notice my body. So notice my face. Notice my shoulders. And then notice other parts of my body. And then I'm going to turn my attention to notice, like, my sound. What does my sound sound like? Okay. And now I'm noticing the change from up to down low. And then I'll go on to continue to bring my attention to yeah. other things to notice, which could include either, again, the breath, the body, but then the sound and then different yeah. facets of the sound. And as I do that in my classes, I'll coach people to go through it. So yeah. I'm going to try it with everybody here. And then you Absolutely. can tell me if I did it wrong or if I did it right. So yeah. if anybody here wants to take, <laughs> is that fair? Is that okay? Are Absolutely. Chris, what I would recommend is for mindfulness, I really, really encourage people to kind of like move away from like the right and the wrong, even though as teachers, of course, you know, there is like a really great boho and like the things we say, like, don't do that kind of thing. But if we are coming from a mindfulness for today's purpose, I would really encourage people to think about adjustments, about fine tuning, about what is helpful, what is what feels maybe um, a little more tense, a little less tense on um, what is helpful and what is unhelpful in this sense. So we're going to kind of like stop correcting ourselves, but invite ourselves to pay more attention because it's about calm and balance. Awesome. Okay, so I'm going to try it, and okay. it's not going to be right or wrong, but but then we're <laughs> going to see like what comments you have. So for anybody that's listening right now, I'm going to take you through. <laughs> this is me trying to teach mindfulness and getting coached from an actual professional mindfulness teacher. And Love so it. I'm going to take you through a mindfulness exercise, and you have the option as a listener. You can you can take your instrument and you can put it in your hand and you can play while I give you this exercise because this is also something I do to help people improvise or yeah. you can just do it without your instrument so it's your choice mm. and if you're if you're doing it with your instrument or without your instrument then just start by relaxing and maybe close your eyes if you want and set an intention and that intention could include completing the sentence I am which is something I've learned from my yoga teachers. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, so you've got your intention. Now, if you have an instrument, you can start to play a note. You can pick any note and you can play that note. Mm -hmm. And as you play, and if you don't have an instrument, then you're just sitting there. And as you're playing that note or sitting there, I want you to just bring your attention to your breath. That's it, just notice. Mm -hmm. And if something happens, then it happens. Now I want you to move your attention to your body. So that could include like your shoulders, your neck, wherever there's tension. And if you're playing, then just keep playing that note. And if you want to change a note, you can change the note. Now continue to bring your attention to other places in your body. Maybe you'll notice there's tension in certain places. Maybe you let that tension go. And gradually bring your attention to your sound. Or if you're not playing, bring your attention to something else about your surroundings. Maybe the sound that you're hearing around you. Maybe the smells, sights, 
and at any point if you're playing your instrument you can move the bow and you can move it to another note you can play another note and if you want to bring your attention to the articulation of your sound the volume of your sound the velocity of your bow you can bring your attention to that the creative strings podcast is produced by creative strings creative strings is a nonprofit organization with a mission to positively transform music education through the production of programs like this as well as our free play along videos at youtube you can find the christian house youtube channel and you can play along to hundreds of videos you can use them in classrooms different styles i highly encourage you to check out our free play alongs if you have not already you can also get more curriculum at christianhouse.com or at creativestrings.org attend our retreats attend zoom classes bring us out for school visits and more uh, so just want to make sure you knew about that you can also always reach out to me if you have any questions chris at christianhouse.com and now back to the episode and then if you're playing you can continue to change a note like think about a note that you'll change to and then just change to it when you're ready now you're improvising now you can play as fast as you want and it can be any note there's no right or wrong notes whenever you want you can check in with how are you feeling and notice thoughts that you're having the thoughts that you're having are you having judgmental thoughts are you having peaceful thoughts reset to your intention continue this as long as you like you can hit pause and do this and see wherever it takes you okay so that's my attempt so yeah. uh you're the professional so i would love to, to know like did i just teach people mindfulness because my whole idea is like when i go to yoga class i yeah. feel so inspired and like it's incredible when they take me through this kind of sequence of some of these things while i'm doing yoga but i think that people could be doing this while they're practicing and while they're improvising yes. so i'm curious about all those things i'll just i'll stop talking and i'll listen to you now Hmm. Chris, first of all, I really like the invitation of because we're preparing ourselves for improvising, preparing ourselves to to be creative, right? I would recommend to add another step of preparation even before you pick up the instrument. Because let's say that, okay, um, ideally, I just remember, you know, when I was full-time performer and playing 10, 12 hours a day, you have like those set practice times. It's almost like you have those schedules for yourself. So let's say um, I'm going to start practicing nine in the morning and I have my coffee, I have my, my things, and then I go into the practice room. So maybe before practicing, even if you have like a set time, you have a schedule for yourself, or maybe it's just like, oh, I have an hour here. Let me just pick up my instrument. Even before you pick up your instrument, it's like once you go into that space, even if I'm just moving from the living room to literally just like three steps away to, um, to the next room, start scanning yourself. Like start noticing that, okay, that setting the intention doesn't just start when we pick up the instrument. You might already be like, what's going on with me now? And it could truly, like, if we truly give ourselves, like, that moment to check in, some people might feel like, oh, I'm just practicing. I don't want to check in. Like, I just want to play. That's okay, too, because that's where you are. Some people might say that, I don't know. I'm just going to practice. It's like, okay, I don't know. It's where you're starting. But if you already give yourself a chance 
to do assessment. And this is like, it could be really playful. You can like, it's about almost like, what's the story of your practice today? And it could be a very short story um, saying that, wow, uh, I really don't want to practice, but I have to, or I'm so looking forward to like spend some time because this is like my time of the, wherever you are starting, that's where we're going to really build that intention from. So I'm going to try, if that's okay, I'm going to guide you and guide our listeners to do a short, truly like this, like mindfulness. And I honestly feel like everybody can benefit from mindfulness in some ways. It's when you go to yoga classes, when you work with a therapist, when you go to like workshops, it's to get inspiration, right? But then you also have to like take those things. What makes sense to you? What works for me right here, right now? And you take those pieces and almost like build this like new tapestry. So if we start, and I'm just going to give everybody a framework before we actually go into this like guidance. So you do a quick check-in, brief check-in, and be as honest with yourself. That makes sense. Because we're not going to, sometimes you might feel like super emotional and there's a lot going on. Maybe even just asking yourself that question could open up like the floodgates for emotions to pass through. And maybe you just want to stay connected with your instrument. That's also just like recognizing and acknowledging, acknowledging yourself that this is my time to practice. And today, what would like what would I like to invite? I am I am feeling frazzled right now, but I am gonna try to be calmer. So even adding like, you know, like sometimes like people will ask me about affirmations. It's like, well, I'm not there yet. This feels a little fake, or this feels like I'm, I'm like I'm an imposter. It's like, yeah. But that's kind of like where you would like to move towards, right? Where your story is going to be developed or going towards that direction. So where is your story starting right now? And then you create a little bit of that distance, like I feel that da-da-da. And so when you're setting that intention or even when you're taking your instrument out of your um your case, um, and we're so on autopilot. So like everything that you're doing, it could just be like setting up your space, making your practice space comfortable is one thing too. It's just like, okay, truly even just adjusting if you're sitting down, if you're adjusting your chair. And I really encourage people to start paying attention to your feet. Truly starting, even just like you, you feel like really like that fastness, start paying attention to your feet, even just tapping almost like this, I am here. And notice the bottom of your feet when you like tap the floor when you are standing here. And you can even like play around and like change your balance, you know, from one side to another. But anything that you're doing, if you just pay attention to a little bit more, that is being more intentional. We're not just going through the motions, right? And so let's say that you bring up your instrument and you like, okay, do a quick check-in, just like, okay, wow, my shoulders feel pretty tense now, but let's just start with the G string. Let's just start with like an open string wherever you, you would like. And as a cellist, let's say I always start with the C string because lower tones help me feel like that sense of like roundness with the floor, right? So maybe even just if you're starting with open string, where would you like to start today? 
how does that kind of fit your story today? Maybe today I feel like I really want to spend more time with the lower strength, but there could be days it's just like, I really want to like open up my arms in this angle and I want to start there. You don't have to really justify it. You just need to kind of like choose something that makes sense to you right now. Okay, so we're going to go into this guidance. So right now, as you're preparing to start your practice, I am inviting you to just notice your feet. You could tap your feet on the, on the floor. You could wiggle your toes. Maybe you're sitting. Maybe you're standing. But wherever you are, invite yourself to have that kind of groundedness on the floor and just check in with your breath you're noticing we're not changing anything so you're just noticing hmm, how is my breathing right now and invite yourself to take a breath just breathing in and notice how your breath is moving in that sense of direction how the breath you're just letting yourself breathe now and as you are breathing out, imagine your breath is just moving towards the direction of the floor. That sense of releasing, easy does it. And in your own pace, you could take a breath or two, just noticing that sense of direction, your breath moving in. You are the person that's breathing now. And as you breathe out, Letting the breath move a little slower, lower, and releasing into the floor. Noticing. What is something that speaks to you now? Setting that intention. I am bringing, I am inviting a sense of calm into my playing today. You are the person that's inviting this calmness to be part of this experience. And so as you are taking your instrument out of the case, every emotion, just let yourself move a little bit slower, knowing that maybe you are moving really fast now. Just take a moment to slow down just a little bit as you're rising your bow, maybe tuning. Just give yourself that sense of calm as you are settling. Know that even if you don't feel calm now, that's okay. We're inviting that sense of connection with the calm. And as you place your bow on that first open string, check in with your feet. Really, really, just let yourself notice your feet on the ground. Even if your hand may feel a little shaky, maybe if something feels out of balance, this is where we are starting now. As you play that first open string, I'm going to invite you to tune in with your breath. Tune in. That down bow, maybe breathing in. Just see how far your bow is moving. 
What is the speed? And then when you are playing your elbow, calming back, let yourself breathe out. And maybe notice that your bow may be moving a little faster than your breath or vice versa. And so the next, next open string that you're going to play, just let yourself match your breathing a little bit and be curious. Know that that invitation of the calm is in the space right here with this open string, with the sound. And do this in your own pace. See if you want to switch to another string. Maybe play another note. And if you feel like this is a little bit too slow for your current state of being, it's not calming, that's okay. This is the time that maybe play some, some busy sounds, some loud noises. Really let yourself use your instrument to match your current state of being. Open up that curiosity. Notice if there is patches of busy sounds. If you don't really know where to start, even just start with a scale or just do some little exercise here and there that you don't have to think that hard, but you're just matching kind of your, your current energy. And invite yourself. I bring more calm into... Do it in the way that makes more sense to me. Really notice the quality of your sound. Notice how you are using your bow and checking in. How does that feel, especially with your shoulders, your elbows, your wrists? Maybe even noticing our feet, do you feel like you're moving quite a bit or do you feel like you're more grounded and rooted here? And if there are busy thoughts or intrusive thoughts are coming into your headspace, acknowledge them. Come back to your instrument. Come back to what you are playing. Acknowledge and let those thoughts come and go. You're inviting yourself to come back to your practice again and again. Thank you. Love it. Love it. Thank you. And I want to take a second to thank our sponsors. First of all, Electric Violin Shop. And they are the resource for all things electric strings. Not too far from you, actually. I think uh, Durham, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I, I get confused about the, the geography. But it's electricviolinshop.com. If you go there, if you have any questions about anything related to electric violin playing, electric cello playing, they have a phone number on their website. And you can call and speak to a human during business hours. And that's the best thing about them. They'll literally answer your questions. So go to their website, electricviolinshop.com. Call them at their phone number, get help. Also, our sponsor, Yamaha. Yamaha supports creative string players and all sorts of string players. You can check out the Yamaha 
Educator Suite. If you're an educator, Yamaha Educator Suite. You can also join the Yamaha Educators Facebook group on Facebook. They have a lot of great free resources. And if you do speak to the folks at Electric Violin Shop, make sure that you uh, and you're looking for an electric <laughs> instrument. I recommend their their violin and or cello. Um, so that's for our sponsors. Question about the mindfulness thing. When you right now, we were just exploring mindfulness as a means to practice, right? And as mm-hmm. as I was saying before, like I'm curious about mindfulness as a as a way to take actions that we're blocked from taking. I think some people, when they practice, they're blocked around practicing, or they mm-hmm. don't they don't make progress. Or like a lot of my students, they're like self conscious to improvise. Yeah. They're so, it's like scary to like choose a new note. So so to me I'm interested in mindfulness as a solution for people mm-hmm. to take action. Absolutely. And right now we're talking about it in the context of, of practicing. Mm-hmm. But um but why do you teach teachers about mindfulness? Like why did Debbie Lyle at Bornoff want you to teach is it just because they get stressed out or in, <laughs> just to help them get less stressed out or is it for them to get more done? Is it so they don't yell at their students as much? Like why? I would say that when I started talking to Debbie about mindfulness and and any other content of not just teaching mindfulness to clients, but providing in-service for clinicians or other therapists and constantly having um, these conversations about what is mindfulness and what is it for? If I bring it back into self-care, but not in like a glamorous self-care way, because a lot of people are like, what do you mean by self-care? It's like, I don't, I I take my vacations. I try to, you know, schedule these like things. Um, Those are like the big projects that people can do, right? I always talk to people about the um, not so glamorous self-care that you do for yourself. That is about really coming back to that sense of wellness And holistically speaking, if we're just talking about string teachers, there, I I think here in the US right now, not just string teachers, just teachers in general are, are doing so much for our students and are oftentimes maybe underappreciated and they don't have a lot of resource and support. So many different levels. COVID has made everything a hundred times worse, but I, as a mental health practitioner, I always talk about COVID really made things like we're zooming in of all of these mental health concerns that are already existing and continuously developing. And I think COVID made people had to pay attention to these things more and they're really really uncomfortable and and really traumatic in so many different levels so when it comes to teachers i would say that just about like the workshop per se a lot of teachers of course are looking for resources of what they can bring back to their classrooms but what i am more interested in is when teachers feel like they are more supportive, feel more grounded. And then I keep coming back to this word grounded because this is such an important skill that is part of mindfulness, is part of like somatic um, therapeutic experiences. But just as a person, as a human being, when we are not feeling centered and grounded, a lot of things can happen that are not very helpful to us. Because then we would make a lot of maybe more impulsive decisions or we would react more than responding. 
And a lot of times it's not even that we can't think clearly. So even just bringing into like the neuroscience um, and please know that this is like very watered down neuroscience um, to make it user friendly and help people like kind of understand their own um, mind and body connection. And so if we're just talking about our brain, again, watered down, like in three layers of like the lizard brain, the dinosaur brain, the middle part, um, the mammal brain, and like the higher thinking cognitive brain, which we call the monkey brain. And so how, when you are, more grounded and you are more mindful, first of all, it really, really helps. And this is like lots of wonderful research to back this up. Our amygdala, which is like the fear center, actually is less reactive. And it also really helps the lizard brain to not um, overreact and helps our emotional and physical safety. And so I could go on and on and on about like the neuroscience part, but truly the most important thing is like when teachers have more tools about being more mindful about self-care, it's less reactive to fear. It's less reactive to all the uncomfortable emotions and it's coming back to, okay, I feel more grounded. I can uh, feel more like myself and interact with other people, interact with your own self in a more authentic manner. And that allows people to to truly be kinder and also not so much like the explosive drama, but more neutral. So when things are a little bit more neutral, there's more possibilities, more space for, for things to truly happen. It's, that just brings to mind that teachers are going through a lot of stress and like, yeah. you know, that probably a lot of times people expect a teacher in yeah. the same way that they might expect someone like yourself, <laughs> a therapist, you know, or like a doctor. They just expect them to just have it together and be able yeah. to take whatever we throw at them. It's like, you know, yeah. so, so the kids and parents yeah. and like school boards and like administrations yeah. and like, you know, politicians and like, <laughs> just like yelling at the teachers, like, it's your job to make everything better. And then like we just expect like it's just their job to be perfect but mm-hmm. the fact is they're human and so they're probably feeling stressed out and overwhelmed and that feels big it's like you yeah. like giving them the tools to feel okay is what absolutely. i'm hearing absolutely absolutely yeah, and another cool. part is it's like it's like practice when you are learning these self-care skills in the middle of everything, it's going to feel really weird and awkward and you're going to have resistance or a lot of people, I don't want to overgeneralize, but it may feel like, who has time for this? Or what is this about? Like, I don't even have time to finish my work. Why do I need to like, like a lot of teachers and both my parents are teachers. So I grew up in in the household of seeing my mom being super dedicated to, um, she's a high school private teacher, um, making sure that all of her students and all her, her parents are, are clear with communication and so you're burning the candles from both ends teachers tend to put themselves last if they have more time they're going to give and support other people and it becomes such like this pattern of i can't take care of myself i have so many other people who need me but my whole focus is if you don't and this is going to sound super cliche but you you have to fill your cup But it's not just like everybody is filling in the same way. You have to do those things that is recharging your batteries. And this is, um, I saw this on a meme the other day, so I can't take credit for it. Like, 
we are not going to let our phones go into like 5% and not charge it. So why do we think that human beings are okay? Just like, yeah, who needs to recharge? Like, let's just keep going. And it's almost like this competition of like, how much tolerance you can have for this busyness and it, and we wear like like this this badge of honors like you know i am the most hardworking person where i can hold on to the most stress and charge the least to do it because i work with a lot of teachers and musicians on you know running their businesses the people that work for themselves and uh, and that's a big one people feel yeah. pressure to like they're like i should give it away for free somebody can't afford this or and then but it's like well but you have to be able to set boundaries and yes. you have to be able to take care of yourself of course i i i resonate with we want to help people we want to give away things for free this yeah. is free you know but but you also have to take care of yourself so um this is great. I, I love this. Um, I want to remind people that if you want to reach out to Joyu Lee, you can do so at musicandyourmind.com. You can also find her on Instagram at music and part of why I love to have guests on like Joyu Lee in this episode is to imagine and learn from all the diverse experiences that we can have as musicians education therapy um, business practices just there's there's so much that we can get into and that's why I think it's a great fit that we have electric violin shop as our sponsor <laughs> because so many uh, string players are looking to do outside the box things you know whether that's get an electric instrument amplify use effects just find different ways to express yourself um, i want to thank electric violin shop for sponsoring us and again remind you that you can call them their phone number at electricviolinshop.com find their phone number call speak to a human and ask any questions they will answer all your questions related to all things electric strings with that let's get back into this conversation with joy lee and I'd like to transition into talking about narratives. Is that okay? Yes, of course. Okay. Absolutely. So you're a narrative therapist, yes. <laughs> of, uh, you know, and but I'm really interested in the idea of narratives from the standpoint of like rewriting my mm -hmm. story yes. and or for other clients of mine, friends of mine, people, in my family, the idea that we have limiting beliefs. Mm -hmm. about what we're capable of and that those limiting beliefs these ideas about who we are um that they're, they're shaped by stories that we unconsciously tell that we've told maybe because something happened in life mm -hmm. something happened to me when i was 15 and so yeah. then there was a story about i'm this you know i'm this or i'm that now i turned 50 recently and i'm like i want to rewrite my story uh -huh. i want to not tell negative things about myself yeah. you know i want to tell positive things about myself and i want to be able to go into those stories and live through those stories not in like a empty like yeah. just like empty <laughs> empty affirmations like mm -hmm. i'm you know i'm going to attract a billion dollars and like you mm -hmm. know you know but um so tell me about narratives with this absolutely with this so chris I remember the last time I went to your performance, you opened up like kind of like your music story, right? I love asking people the questions of, okay, if I meet somebody new, could be a client, could be, you know, just invite people to tell, tell a story about themselves. Sometimes it's related to music if we're, you know, in the music content, but even just like, tell me a story about yourself that 
it could be something important to you, could be just something that you find interesting, or maybe the first story that you kind of like remember. And so sometimes people like truly like I, I put them in the spot. It's like, I don't know. I don't have any stories. It's like, just think for a second. Don't think too hard. It could be what was the last song that like made you feel something or um, is like playing rent free in your head, things like that. So stories, we, we are made of one story after another. And our society really, really likes to ask the questions like, what's wrong with you when something's happening, right? And Dr. Bruce Perry has a book written with Oprah, talks about what, has, what happened to you. In a very, very gentle manner, it's like, what has shaped us to become the humans we are now? And our stories truly is still continuously developing in so many different um, different perspectives. And let me find something really quickly. Uh, essentially, it's also like the stories that we tell ourselves is based on not just our own beliefs, but the ways we understand our lives are influenced by broader stories of the culture in which we live in. And so when I talk about like the broader social context of the stories, these are influenced by gender identities, class, systems, race, culture, spirituality, differences in abilities, disabled bodies and non-disabled bodies, neurotypical neurodivergent, body size, body weight, age, sexual orientation. These are all powerful contributors to the plot and the development of the stories. And so right now, the stories that we tell ourselves, it's not always because of us. A lot of times it's shaped by all of these constant influences, right? And I'm sure, actually, this is one of my posts, but I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share the screen right here. Oh, actually, that's okay. I'm just going to like talk about our dominant stories. Let's say between the years of life, days, week, month, year. So Chris, you're turning 50s. So let's say that, you know, if we're looking at this diagram, this is like the years of your life. And this is like the events. And let's say it's like stars. There's so many things that has happened that in, in everyday life, some things that we really, really hold on to and we remember, some things that just happen and maybe we just forgot what we're not paying attention to. So maybe once upon a time when you were younger or at one point something happened or maybe some a series of things happened that somebody collectively decided that, okay, this is Chris's story right now. And Chris, you mentioned like, let's say 15, something happened or lots of things happened. Okay. So there is like this very significant mile marker and I'm using quotation marks is because who gets to decide? Who has the power to decide what are your stories? Is this really your story? Is this the story that other people decided for you? And so let's say that a significant event where certain things gave this, this incident more power. And so it's almost like then because of human beings, our brain is always like anticipating what might be happening or, you know, like those sayings, like we only listen to what we want to listen to or we see what we want to see. So that later on, maybe certain events and stories get highlighted and gain more power and becomes this dominant story. And then it's linked, linked, linked. So let's say that there are other very important things happening, but because 
it's not relevant to this dominant story. So it kind of gets written off. And you as a person, this dominant story might just become like you, you get convinced too. We do that. This is, this is the story of my life. Whether you feel this is truly authentic to who you are as a person or not. And in narratives, we have like all of these processes and really exploration about being curious of other things. So through deconstruction, we highlight possibly the other things that matter to you that are interesting to you that are more that you are more curious about and then and then link those things becoming like alternative stories and when you go back and and really like looking at or really reflecting at the dominant story there's also a lot of the the pieces that you can really work through but also really acknowledge that you know you're kind of like taking your power back for yourself and deciding what is more meaningful for you. So it's not ignoring or neglecting or like you said, like that toxic positivity of just like, you know, I am like a change person that way. It's like truly, truly honoring what has happened to you. Because there is a lot, a lot of information there, but you're not letting the so-called dominant story take over your life. You're exploring those alternatives to be able to give yourself different perspectives, new opportunities, broadening. Um, and, you know, the hero's journey is such like an important concept in GIM. But it's truly when you are going through all of these different events and looking ahead of how you want to live your life, where is your story going? You're not limiting yourself to what has happened in the past. And you just mentioned GIM briefly, which mm -hmm. I want to get into, which is guided imagery and music. Yes. And it's a, uh, that's what GIM stands for. And this is kind of a, a lesser known, well, I don't know, I'm sure if it's lesser known, but it's, uh, it's, a, it's a music centered consciousness expanding transformational yes. therapy <laughs> developed by Dr. Helen Bonney. And so you're, a, someone who is, 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 uh, has gone through extensive training and able to, to do this very particular type of therapy. And I, want, I don't want to get into it too heavy today, but yeah. I do want to make sure that people understand a little bit about it. And you were just mm -hmm. referencing this hero's journey and saying that that is a part of something that is dealt with a lot in guided imagery and music therapy, which you do. And yes. the way I understand it, you people come to you and you will play music and then guide them through a process where they're they're talking about the images and the stories that they experience is that more or less true yes absolutely so guidometry and music is a form of music psychotherapy so in a traditional one-on-one -on -one, like therapist client session um it can take place like between an hour and a half to two hours but it's almost like there are four parts in this the first part of of the the session itself is very similar to traditional psychotherapy i talk to my clients we assess what they're bringing to the, the the session like and this is not just for for people that are dealing with um mental health concerns this is also for for people who are really interested in growth and wellness and self-exploration 
that's a really big piece is like, okay, I am curious to see how I can continue to um, grow and cultivate more awareness for myself. So I'm not just like staying st- stuck in my everyday routine. So this first part, like it could be like maybe 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes, depending on how serious things are. It is truly me assessing what's going on with my client. And depending on what the client is experiencing, I use the assessment to choose music programs that we're going to use for the day. When you say program, though, you mean like a playlist, right? Yes. And each playlist or program is between 30 minutes to 40-ish minutes. And it is using different sequences of music. Currently, it's majority classical music because it was developed in the 70s. And the reason why it was primarily using classical music is also because of the instrumentation, because of the the possibilities of um like these the, the storytellings and the and the music itself that can activate and stimulate different responses and that when i talk about sp- responses it is a full body response it's not just you know when the music is playing what you are visualizing um some people are very like kinesthetic focused they may like really sense that there's like movement in the body or um, music can allow you to almost like go to a different time and place. I call it time travel. So bringing back different memories to the here and now, or some people can associate to different smells and tastes. And um, even with like, when you're thinking about like imagining um, different environments, so like humidity, uh, like the specific temperature or what time of the day, those things are all part of the music experience. But this reminds me of like treating people with psychedelics, but without psychedelic drugs. Yes. We talk about music as a legal high. And in the 70s, Dr. Bonnie did research with LSD because they were very interested in using music and this content of how can it activate these very, very sp- specific explorations. And so people who, who joined the research studies, they were, um, you know, working through um, alcohol addiction or drug addictions or other different things. And back in the 70s, we were not in a trauma-informed or trauma-aware generation. And so back then, they didn't realize that, wow, this actually really, really um, supports people working through trauma. So this is like more of the recent research um, and discovery. Okay, so I've heard people claim that using certain psychedelic drugs could in some cases be um, an effective treatment for someone mm-hmm. with like something like depression. But of course, I'm not, a, <laughs> I'm not making any claims here, but, yeah. but I also understand that that would either be very dangerous or very expensive or both. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you know, people would have to go to like, I've heard of people going to like South America and like, yeah. you know, to, to, and spending lots of money and then still, you know, having very dangerous experiences, right? Um, so I can only imagine that it's just a fraction of the danger and expense. Well, there's probably no danger, pretty much, and expense if they wanted to come to you and see if something like this, guided imagery and music. Now, can I just ask a couple really quick uh points of clarification absolutely absolutely so psychotherapy is that the same as psychoanalysis or not there are um overlapping parts 
in the process. So let's say that a psychotherapist, people will always be like, what does a psychotherapist actually do? So there's a lot of different modalities. A psychotherapist, like the talk therapy is um, we are treating people for emotional and mental illnesses, right? So the psychotherapy portion, it is about like recognizing patterns, exploring things, you know, like really highlighting different um different things that are going on with the client. And so in in some ways, it's similar to counseling. So psychotherapy is deeper, more in depth, and addresses the underlying causes of the problems, and also helps the client to solve them. Is counseling the same thing as psychoanalysis? So I'm just I'm just confused about terms. So you, <laughs> yes. you just said the word counseling, and I'm yes. assuming that you were substituting that from my question, which is psychoanalysis. Typically, if I reach out to a counselor, mm-hmm. they are a licensed psychoanalyst. Is that the right mm-hmm. word? Yes, and, and they're a counselor. And so I'm just trying to get clear on it. So of course, of course, is is a different kind of counseling of which there is some overlap. Is that correct? There is um, some overlap, and because. I want to be like really mindful of how I'm explaining it because I'm not a counselor, but the scope of practice for counseling, there are similarities between psychotherapy and counseling, or some counselors are psychotherapists. And a lot of this has to do with licensure and how they are categorized and which which practice, um, okay. scope of practice they belong. Okay, so, cool. Mm-hmm. cool. That's fine. I don't need to, I, I, I don't need <laughs> to understand it. it um, but uh, uh, I understand it's, what I mean to say is I understand it's it's kind of complex. It but is. It, yeah. <laughs> but it, but it's fascinating to me that, yeah, that, that and, and also it's, just to be clear, like, yeah. it seems like you do a lot of types of therapy. Yes. And, uh, and I'm not even going to ask what they all are. People can reach out to you directly and they can learn more. But but this thing about guided GIM, guided imagery yeah. and music, is a particular type of therapy yes. that deals with explorations of consciousness. And mm-hmm. it, it just helped me put it together when I made this, this uh, comparison, I guess. And yeah. you kind of validated that, that, that there was, it's like psychedelics without drugs, you know, kind of, it's like similar in that way. So it's fascinating. And, and I think, I think it's also fascinating. Well, I wonder about your narrative and your journey that got you into doing all this. Cause I can only suspect mm-hmm. that the part of the reason you're interested in psychology, similar to me, is that you're trying to do your own work of 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 writing a narrative mm-hmm. or of of freeing yourself from whatever narratives you know older narratives or limiting narratives and and i don't know that to be true but i'm just i'm kind of wondering that and so to bring it back to the narrative um mm. is that true for you or would you like to say anything ab- about that um how this is related to to narrative and the work that you do with with people which i think i, I talked about earlier I read here you work with a lot of teenagers who have all yeah. kinds of um, things they're struggling with are in crisis. Mm-hmm. You work with people in other demographic situations. You teach teachers. How important is this to you as far as helping people rewrite their narrative? And how did you come into this? Uh, so I truly, truly feel like 
this is my life's work. And I know that sounds incredibly cliche. My, um, you know, statement of the why of why I do what I do, um, that I truly like wrote down as like, I guess my why is to listen, empower and amplify individual stories so that together we can mind me, we can find meaning and true belonging. So reflecting on my own journey, um, as a kid, nobody in my family is a classical musician. My parents love music and appreciates music and they're uh, very creative people, but I don't even really know how I got started. I just know that like, I really loved the piano when I was a kid. And at the time when I was five, we were super, super, super poor. <laughs> My dad was, we were living on like, you know, pennies and like food stamps and all that. So asking for a piano is like mission impossible. But my mom being the creative person she is, created the first paper keyboard for me. So she drew a paper keyboard. I think she even like measured it out so it would like be very similar to the actual keyboard so I could learn the notes. And I love telling this story because I think that was just such an example that stayed with me. One of those stories, right? That imagination is so important. Being curious is so important shaping any practice. And so fast forward, um, I got to, um, I think we got like a piano from a garage sale and there was a neighbor who like uh, offered me lessons for like a really cheap fee. And I just really, really loved practicing from a young age. And that was when my family was in the US. My dad was getting his degree here, um, doing a PhD in in, um, civil engineering. So we moved back to Taiwan, which is where I'm originally from. And I just remember at that time, I had probably the worst adjustment issues ever. I was at that age that I was like, old enough to know that I don't really fit in, but still very young that, you know, my mom wanted to keep the family together. She didn't want me and her to be in the US, my dad's like being in Taiwan for all sorts of reasons. And so I joined the school orchestra, not knowing much, just I played violin for fun and then decided that cello was exactly the same thing. And my teacher was just like, it's not, but sure, we need cellists. So I started playing cello and I think it was just like orchestra gave me, or music, music and stories, because I love reading no matter where I go, like reading has always been part of my, um, just who I am and what I always do. I'm always reading. So I think music and, and stories has truly like saved my life in some ways, because no matter what I'm doing, there's always a sense of belonging. And I was really fortunate to have really great teachers, um, here and there. And there's like a lot of twists and turns in this, but to be, part of the classical music world in Taiwan is at the time, I think nobody really thought that I could do it because I have no history background, no backup support. My family is very modest. Like, and, and this is like in the nineties in Taiwan, most, um, and this is actually very similar. And I think a lot of Asian countries too, like I've lived in Japan for work and I talked to a lot of Korean friends when somebody goes into classical music, it's almost like you either have money, you come from money, or it's some sort of social status. And I have none of that. And so I have been an outsider all my life. But the interesting thing is, in music, 
when I'm playing cello, when I'm playing piano, I feel like truly like on top of the world. I just really felt like music validated me in so many ways, the connections and the teachings that I built with my, my teachers and really dedication to practice and because I wanted to be a really good musician. So I worked really, really hard, but I also knew that just working hard is not enough because it's also about opportunities, about networking, about connections. So I think at that time I was just believing that, okay, if I work hard enough, I could get a spot at the table. And I think with a lot of support from truly my private teachers I was enrolled in the best high school, the best college for music education, um, for performance, actually. In Taiwan, it's called music education, but it's for performance. And even then, I still felt like an imposter, truly. Just maybe it's just like dumb luck that I, you know, got into a great school, dumb luck that I won competitions or things like that. Um, And I don't really think I ever truly felt like I was part of the classical music scene, even though that was what I was doing every day until I moved to Cleveland for graduate school. And I went to Cleveland Institute of Music, which is a really, really good, like amazing string conservatory. And it's very expensive, even with scholarships. So I just remember that once I got to the school, it's really funny because everybody that is there just everybody's practicing everybody's like this love for music is just so prevalent and of course there's like students you know that that come from like these these like uh really long traditions like their parents their grandparents they're all like classical musicians but i met a lot of people that are similar to me that just has this passion for music and that was a really big missing piece growing up of i felt like i was somebody that just like deeply loved music And I don't necessarily have all the resources, but this love for music is what motivated me to keep going. But most of my classmates, or a lot of people I know, don't really share that passion where it's almost like something you do and you're really good at. And I think there was always that disconnection of why this is so important to me. And, you know, between graduate school and then getting a job in an orchestra in Japan, I continue to ask those questions like, what is music to me? Why is this so important to me? What connections do I want to continue to build? And so when I went into music therapy, it was really, I think, asking those questions of what more can I do with music? And I love performing. I still do. I think there, truly, if I reflect back when there's a full house and you're performing Mahler and you're like, you have a seat on the stage and just playing such great music with people, that exhilaration of being able to perform and people attending live concerts, live music, there's something that's just beyond words. But I also really remember when I was in Cleveland and I, um, you know, as a student, you do all sorts of things to like kind of make some extra income. I collaborated with, um, I think, it, I don't know if they still exist. It's called Access of the Arts. And would go into like assistant living homes and hospitals and do like these like 20 minutes, like kind of like lecture concerts. And so maybe there are like the 10 people that come to like my little solo cello concert. But I would tell them stories. I would tell them that 
um, what I'm playing today, what to listen for, what might be kind of like the background, and invite them to be part of the experience. This is like way before my therapy years. And I just remember those like mini series that when I'm so intentional about what I'm doing, and if you want to call it mindfulness, yes, I didn't know that what, what I was doing. I just knew that I wanted to bring people in this space and share the space and music. And I have this responsibility of, of bringing music in a way that's intentional for them. And this is what I know now. Back then, I was just like, I think it would be cool to tell them some stories and, you know, help people feel better, whatnot. You know, I was a 22-year-old, didn't really know much. And those concerts really stayed with me of what people would report or share with me afterwards. And and they would describe it as just like, my heart was racing before coming to your concert. And I just really felt like the cello was playing just for me. And or some people would be like, I I have heard the song before. I never really was able to experience it in such like a, a calm and gentle manner. So I think those experiences really st- like inspired me to explore more what music can do and from a very practical perspective. And also breaking down those barriers of classical music isn't just for the selected groupings of people and you have to have money and access and resource to be part of this world. Um, I, I truly, truly feel like classical music because it has such a long tradition and because there was limited access for some folks. And I just think about my dad of, he comes from this tiny rural country, like, little town in the mountains in northern Taiwan. Um, so there's mostly like folk folk songs and then, you know, the traditional instruments. Um, but my dad, I don't know where he was just like a very curious person. So he would listen to some like different CDs and he just like appreciate classical music because it probably sounded good and felt good while he was listening to it. And <laughs> again, both him and my mom worked really hard and they were like saving up to, you know, to study abroad. But when my mom was pregnant of me, I think like eight months, Rostopovich was still doing a lot of concerts and came to Taiwan. <laughs> my dad bought these really expensive tickets, probably worth of two weeks of grocery, and like insisted taking my mom to the concert. And so my mom was pregnant of me. And my mom said that she doesn't remember anything except for his shoes were super shiny. And I think he played them solo a lot. So I just think about, you know, my parents who truly came from nothing and classical music spoke to them, not because it was fancy, not because it was something that is prestigious. It's music. It's something that if it's a genre that is, it's like every, I want to say almost everybody likes music. It just depends on what type. And maybe you don't like classical music because you weren't exposed to, or maybe you didn't have an opportunity to try it out or to experience it in a way that didn't feel so intimidating or didn't feel like you had to like dress up and look really nice and not clap in between movements and, and stay still for like an hour. And don't get me wrong. I love going to classical music concerts, but I also really feel like there's so many different ways to bring classical music into people's lives. And that's really how I found GIM, like my first semester at Appalachian State University in Boone, North Carolina. 
my mentor, Dr. Kathy McKenney, who is the music therapy director at App State. Um, she is uh, truly a very, very important researcher and clinician in the GIM world. Um, her and um, Maddie Ventry, my mentors, have done amazing things for my GIM training. But I just remember taking a class. It was music therapy intro, reading journal articles about just different therapy practice. And this was a, a specific article talking about GIM and the power of healing, working with somebody that had a terminal cancer diagnosis. And what caught my attention was they were describing Haydn cello concerto, second movement, the C major one, which is like every cellist in the classical music, you know, training, you would learn that piece at, at one point or the other because it's like standard repertoire. And just the, the, the description of how this woman was experiencing this music and, and, you know, like this therapeutic process of holding a conversation with her therapist, guiding through her self-exploration of grief, of loss, and promoting healing, I could not stop reading. And I just remember, I was like, I have to learn about this. Like, what is this? Like, as a cellist, how do I know, not know that the cello concerto of Haydn was being used in these like avenues and things like that. And so I talked to my professors, went into training and because of my experience and knowledge of, and, you know, from performance and just from a long time music lover of all of the, these experiences in music, it bringing it into the therapeutic lenses and going through GIM training really, really helped me find that integration between the practicality and the aesthetic of music and how that can be used for healing. And in every person's like hero's journey, it is about meeting your full finding and loving up to your full potential. And of course, stories, right? Because when you talk about imagination, think about Fantasia, you know, Mickey Mouse and the sources of princess and, and going through all that. Every person, when they listen to music, music is, it has like all pervasive qualities. It activates all these different things. You can relinquish or let go some of your control a little bit easier because of the music, or you can release and work through intense emotions and having opportunities to redirect and restructure different personal experience through the support and through the help of music. Beautiful. Well, I want to acknowledge you for your, your, your beautiful articulation and unique articulation of so many concepts and stringing them together in beautiful narratives you know i want to acknowledge you for your passion for reading and music and knowledge that keeps you you know constantly learning new modalities and you know all the certifications that you bring together in a in a in an incredible confluence of uh of skills that you have and, and acknowledge you for the service that you provide so many people as a therapist as a musician too and just knowledge you as being an inspiration i think it's you know people that hear your story you know will be really inspired i'm really inspired by you so i just want to thank, thank you, you for that yeah and uh i want to mention again that we get to thank 
uh, I get to thank <laughs> Yamaha for supporting Creative String players and supporting the Creative Strings podcast. If you go to support ed, Yamaha support ed, just look it up. That's as in support education. Great resources for teachers uh, and anybody in music education. Uh, free resources from Yamaha. And Electric Violin Shop, who has supported us through all 52 episodes now, electricviolinshop.com. Get their phone number. You can call them, and you will find a human being to talk to you during business hours in North Carolina business hours, which is where we both live, the beautiful state of North Carolina. I'm looking <laughs> forward to coming down and maybe get a chance to uh, see you again when I come down to work with Lissandra Booth's uh, youth ah. orchestra here in in September. I don't know if this this episode may or may not already be out by then. But um, for people who want to find Joy Yu Lee, go to musicandyourmind.com musicandyourmind.com or find her inspiring posts and follow her on Instagram. Same handle, musicandyourmind.com mind and reach out to her she's i'm i can testify that uh she will respond to your email (laughs) (laughs) and uh and i'm sure that you know she could she could help guide you in more ways if you want to learn more about any of the stuff that we've talked about today uh is there anything you'd like to add yeah chris thank you so much for sharing this space and inviting me to to talk to your listeners and um I hope everybody who is listening to this podcast, just be kinder to yourself. Truly, truly. I think we've talked about mindfulness. We talked about grounding. We talked about stories. We talked about therapy. All of these things. It's about truly coming back to you and giving yourself opportunities to be curious about life and to give yourself the permission to to feel all the different things too so thank you beautiful i love that okay everybody well we will i will see you on the next one you can learn more at uh, christianhouse.com or creativestrings.org find out about all of our free programs more podcasts guided practice sessions learn about improvisation uh entrepreneurship coaching teacher training and more Feel free to reach out to me anytime, chris at christianhouse.com, and we'll see you on the next one. Thanks again, Joyu. Thanks so much, Chris. And that is a wrap for this fascinating, I hope you'll agree, fascinating um, conversation with Joyu Lee. Uh, Definitely feel free to reach out to her. I'm sure she would love to hear from you. Um, and I would love to hear from you as well. Uh, Just a reminder that we have many programs through Creative Strings that we... um, offer programs and resources including our free play-along videos many episodes of this podcast uh, free play-along videos at youtube zoom classes our blog a lot that you can find at creativestrings.org and or christianhouse.com please do share the episode leave a review do all the things and reach out to me if i can ever help with anything chris at christianhouse.com um Big thanks again to our sponsor, Electric Violin Shop. They've been with us throughout 50-plus episodes, and I consider them like family. You can always find their phone number at electricviolinshop.com, and you can call them, speak to a human, and get help. Uh, Thanks for listening, and I will see you next time.